It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Welcome into another episode of the Take Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield. Today, we got Stephen O'Rourke in the chair, I guess, to the right of me. And then Chris Wecht joining us in third chair today. Obviously, you know Chris. I don't know. He's probably been on 20 episodes of the show. This is his first appearance this season. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. It's actually, yeah, I think it's been a while since I've been on the show. I just, I've just been listening and get, giving my takes in my head when you guys talk about stuff. So <laughs> now I can actually talk to you about them. Yeah, that's true. And to be fair, like you're just we're at the point now in the the company pickums where you're just tailing me, right? So I come on here, tell you who I'm picking in every game, and then you just go in the sheet, add add all the staff picks, and you're just tailing me because you're you're trying to catch up. I guess that wouldn't be a good way to catch up though, because yeah, I got it. You're you're in the lead, right? <laughs> or I don't know what it is after this week. You're probably still in the lead. L- last week was weird enough that I don't think anybody had a great week. I think I no. went ten and six. Yeah. So. Um, that, that should still keep me in first, I think, unless somebody did have a great week that I wasn't accounting for, but no, uh, I just wanted to brag on both of us. Cause Chris and I are in first and second place in the company. Uh, what is that? The, uh, money line pickums. So yeah, not bad. Not bad. If we actually bet what we said, we would be doing very well right now, <laughs> but I don't bet on money line ever. I probably should more often, but anyways, Guys, uh, we're we're now into week five of the football season. It is the bye weeks for the three of us. That's very exciting. Um, we have less games. I think I figured it out to be each less game we have is like 21 man hours. I don't have to account for. That's wow. total. Not for one person, obviously, for the whole staff. Yeah, 21 man hours per game. Plus, we get a London game. So it's like having three less games this week. That's like 63 man hours less I have to account for, which is awesome. That means you guys are getting the data faster is what that means. So. Um, boom. Um, anyways, a- NFL news before we jump into things Chris likes, because we are he's the guest of the day, so we're going to give him the floor for that. Um, anything of note, Jonathan Taylor reinstated official or not reinstated, comes off the the what the IR. He's practicing with the Colts. They're intending on playing him, it sounds like, which is interesting because I was pretty convinced he would never uh, put on a Colts uniform again. So did, did yeah, the Colts win? Is that what happened there? Yeah. Like, it sounds like it. I don't know if they like beat him into submission or what, but he came out and he's like, "Yeah, I'm really excited to get back out on the field." It's the- <laughs> okay. It's a, <laughs> he saw what's happening to Saquon right now in New York, and he's like, "Oh shoot." <laughs> well, he had to. He had to know what the trade market was like at this point, and like his agent's not going to lie to him and say, "Oh yeah, that some team is still really put." Like, is Miami probably still really pushing? I bet not. No I mean, I'm way. sure they would. I'm sure they would like to have him, but they're not it's like. Got- they got like yeah. 14 touchdowns combined between their two running backs. Right. So like they're yeah. probably like, yeah, I mean, we'd like to have you, but we're not going to give you anything of value to get you on it. So they're like, I'm sure. what, what, what is, what is, what does he have? What move does he have left? He, he could, you know, it's a tough, he's in a really tough spot. Yeah. He doesn't really have a lot of options. And I'm sure there's a percentage of him that is actually seeing the product on the field and is like, hey, this quarterback's actually pretty good and this coach is actually pretty good and maybe this team actually has a chance to be good. So maybe I should contribute instead of uh, complaining. Yeah. I'm, yeah, that's a good point. Um, other news, Jamison Williams uh, gets his suspension basically reduced by two games, Um which is funny because the new policy actually would dictate he only got suspended for four two games instead of six. So, so interesting thing there because they obviously can give him game checks back, but they can't give him time back. And time for a guy in the situation he was in where he only played six games last year, coming off the ACL, then pretty much missed. He was out of the building for the last four weeks because of this ridiculous rule. Um that's unfortunate that he lost that time. He needed that time to work on his craft, and it sounds like he was working at home, but that's obviously not the same as being under the the tutelage of your your coaching staff. So um, any thoughts there? I just think it's interesting that everybody and their brother was sitting there saying, this is a ridiculous rule. We need to change this. And since the, since the, suspen- the, the suspension came down, and that was like, what, August? early August or late July. 
And yeah, was, I think it was like uh, right at the end of June, actually. Yeah. So that was now that was now almost three months ago, or yeah, almost three months ago. A little more, a little, and it took them that long to realize it. It's like you know, this is why people have an issue with the NFL hierarchy and the way they do rules and everything is that everybody's been saying that it needed to be changed and it took them up until week five to change it. It's just, it, you know, it's just, it's good to see that they made a change, but at the same time, it's, you know, annoying because you would like to have seen them do that more proactively or, you know, as it was happening, as everybody was saying, Hey, we don't really understand these rules and whether you want to argue that that's legitimate, whether you want to argue whose fault that was, whatever, it's still, I can see a point where people would be annoyed that they didn't get this done sooner. It sort of seems like an admission of guilt by the NFL. It's like, oh, yeah, like they're taking some of the blame for the players not understanding that they couldn't bet on another sport within the team facility, but they could at home. That's a really weird rule, by the way. Um, Yeah. But it seems like the NFL is taking some of that accountability and not educating the players fully. But the fact that it's still a two-game suspension is still weird to me. It's like, why do you care if Jamison Williams is betting on... Wasn't he betting on, like, tennis or something? It was something really obscure. Like, like why why do we care about that? That's just super weird just, to me. It's probably just so they can be slightly... Like, oh, we weren't totally wrong, though. Like, it, we, we... Yeah, exactly. We just don't want to admit... Yeah, I bet you, like, a year or maybe two years from now, the rule will be totally gone. It's like, just don't bet on the NFL... And probably not college football either. They'll probably keep that and everything else, whatever, do whatever. There's definitely an argument to be made about college football, especially since a lot of these guys stay pretty close with their, right, with their yeah. college teams. So right, um, right. There's just, already there's already been trading scandals in yeah. college sports with yeah. you know people. I don't I don't think anybody wants to get involved in that. For sure, for sure. All right. Any other news? I don't think there really was. I mean, that's what much. about the the it was last yeah last night the Panthers. Oh. saying they're gonna they want to add uh, a true wide receiver one to their team so that's weird to me i mean to to do that now is weird that's and that was the way the tweet read was right mm-hmm. that they want to do it now before the trade deadline yeah. i don't know what the market looks like i like i know t is not available that's the one guy everyone's thrown out um you know what's weird about this though guys is they actually had a wide receiver one and they traded him um, so I don't know. That's what I don't understand what changed from now into the entire off season and summer when you had Thielen and shark and Mingo in the building, like the, why, why now you're not so competing. Can. Have you watched Bryce young? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what, I don't think it's necessarily the receiver's fault. I think Thielen looks like he got well, a couple years younger. I'm just saying they're panicking. Like Bryce young looks freaking terrible. They have to be watching Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud and going, Oh no, what did we yeah. do? <laughs> yeah like, i mean honestly he he looks yeah. awful so i think it's a pure panic so just, just like we'll just get a get a superior talent in here and hopefully it yes. makes him look a little bit better yep i don't know i don't know what they could possibly hope to trade for in Guys, terms of what of, capital yeah well, yeah like, right yeah, that's their problem Devontae adams is a guy i thought could be an answer for them um maybe hollywood brown in arizona like i don't know what the arizona what their plan is but they're obviously they're overperforming where people thought they would be at this point they probably understand that as well and he makes a little bit of money he's not the he's young he's not old but he's not young um so i mean that might be a guy they could acquire other than that maybe jmo you know maybe they call the lines about jmo it seems like the line staff is is not uh super happy with jmo this far and hopefully that turns itself around but i mean why not call about a guy like Jamie? Other than that, I just don't know where they're going. Where you're going to find a, a wide receiver or a guy with the potential to be a wide receiver one at this right. point in the season. That's kind of crazy to me. So that's not really how you build teams. No. Um. All right. Let's turn the floor over to Chris Wax. We're going to do things Chris likes today. Chris, hit us with your three things. All right. Uh, first thing is I, I like playoff baseball. I don't I don't watch much regular season baseball. I watch it here and there. There's just so many games. They feel like they don't mean anything because there's so many. Like you lose one, you're like, oh, you play the next day. But in the playoffs, every game feels like it means something. Every at bat feels like it means something. It's it's it makes it like it really does make the sport feel like ten times more exciting than watching it during the regular season. Um, and my Phillies are in it, so definitely watching them uh, in October. Um, 
I can get on board with that. Like playoff baseball has a different energy for sure. It definitely does. Yeah. I even feel Absolutely. the way about like NHL. Like I love the NHL, but like yeah. I'm not going to grind out 82 Detroit Red Wings games. Like I'll watch 20 of them. Maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then when the playoffs hit though, I don't miss one. Well, they haven't made the playoffs in like a decade, but when the, when the playoffs hit, I don't miss one. I mean, so I, I can get on board with that. Playoff baseball is definitely a different vibe. Yeah. Play, I mean, playoffs for every sport is better, but I, yeah. these, these, yeah, the sports where there's a ton of games, it, it makes the sport much more interesting. Um, next thing I like is the the greatest game ever created, the show Survivor. Really? It is it is the the it's the perfect game. There is there is so many different ways to play it, so many different people have won it. I've pretty much been watching it since I was uh like god, I was probably like seven or eight years old. Um wow. And still watching it to this day, and it's still it's like got forty something seasons now. There's a reason it's yeah. been on this long. Um, the yeah, there's the, the the social aspect mixed with the strategy element and the athletic element all mixed together. Like there's just nothing else like it where all like three different things like really come together, and you have to like be great at all of them. Somebody once described Survivor as. A reflection on how the world used to work. Like yeah. that's how countries used to be formed. Like you'd have your smart people, your athletes were the warriors, and then it kind of like whoever had the best blend of moxie and athleticism, you know, was the best candidate to, to right. lead a, a nation or develop and like con- and, convincing people to like yes. follow you and lead and but, yeah. but also when things get tough, not to blame you and you know look the other way yeah. and put like it's it's just yeah, you the the social aspect is definitely the most interesting part and, and getting people to believe what you're saying and getting them to do what you want them to do. But yeah, the strategy and the athletic part are just like mm. all together makes it really, really interesting. That's interesting. I don't think I've watched a minute of Survivor since, I don't know, season three. Oh man, you're missing. There's yeah. some good seasons in there. Really? Really? It's still, even at season 40, you think it's still a good product? Oh yeah. It's definitely a good product. There's really? yeah. There, there's definitely not as many, um, like, I guess you call them like villains, like people that you just like, don't really like, like generally everybody that goes on there is like somebody you could get behind rooting for. Whereas in past seasons, there's definitely people who are like, Oh, they're just playing like a ruthless game, which I think are some of the more interesting games. Cause it's tough to win that way. And if you can, it's like really impressive. Um, mm. but yeah, highly recommend. Uh, and then the last thing I like is the tush push because it is the <laughs> most unstoppable play in football. And I love every week when different broadcasters are watching the Eagles game or just the whatever the, everyone talks about it. Should it be legal or not? They're, like this is football has been around for what's like six, 70 years. hundred. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, 100. Yeah, 20s. I think NFL's first season was 1918, I think. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, and it's it took a hundred years to come up with a play that w- what what it is intended to do it is basically unstoppable, and I think it's just fascinating that nobody like I'm imagining all these NFL teams and they you know, they see the Eagles on their all right we got to practice how to stop this tush put and they run it in practice and for some reason their QB and offensive line just can't do it quite the same and they're like all right this is how we're going to stop this this works in practice <laughs> and then they get to the game like well that didn't work at all. Jalen Hurts squats over 600 pounds and he deadlifts about the same, I think, maybe a little more. Yeah, good luck. Good luck stopping. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you're the best offensive line in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And you got Jason Kelsey in front of you. Like, come on. Um, Not to sidebar this too far because I think this is a great selection, but the talk of making this play illegal, it drives me insane. It's so stupid. It's so anti it's so everything dumb. I've been taught my entire life. Like, if you don't like it, freaking stop it. Yeah. And It'd be like saying you don't like that Mahomes can do some of the ridiculous things he can do that nobody else can do. Right. And you say you're not allowed to throw the ball like that anymore. Sorry. Yeah. And I yeah. I love how three teams tried the tush push, the, the brotherly shove this past Sunday and failed. That was amazing. The Chargers were one of them. They lined up to do the brother, brotherly shove, and they got absolutely murdered doing it. So... I do think it's like a Hertz Kelsey combo. It's just those guys are special and Hertz is probably pound for pound the strongest guy in the NFL. Like that's not I'm not exaggerating. That's actually a fact. So I think, uh, I, think I think Richardson might have it. I think it, I think the Colts might be able to do it with him. I could see it. 
Yeah. Or even say Steve. And you you can just see it that like the way Hertz runs it compared to the other quarterbacks, Hertz drives his feet. The other quarterbacks are just leaning. They're leaning, yeah. hoping for the push from the offensive line. And it's like you're not you don't you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get how to run it. You don't yep. get how it works. So just don't do it. I mean, for goodness sakes, the, the Giants lost two of their players on it. A team that was already dying of injuries it lost two more guys to it. Yeah. The thing, too, with Hurts, um, he stays coiled up. Like everyone knows, anyone that's played sports knows, the, the more extended your body is, the less power you have, the less force you can generate. It's like that in jiu-jitsu as well. If, if you want to hit a powerful move, you keep your body coiled up. Hertz doesn't he doesn't extend as soon as the snap hits. Like that's what all the, the mistake all these quarterbacks are making. Like you said, Steve, they're like leaning and extending. They don't have any force to generate now because their body's basically not even on the ground or you know their their weight distribution's way off. Where Hertz stays nice and coiled up, he explodes into it and then eventually extends at the last minute when he needs to. I love it. I think it's a good call, Chris. <laughs> All right, that was 15 minutes of nonsense. Let's actually dive into the content of the show today, which instead of doing a review or a, or a what did you think about that, I thought it would be cool if we actually um, went through the rookie class and redrafted the top 10. I am doing an article on fancypoints.com, so I have a top 10. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, I'm going to throw out a guy. Should we start at 1 or 10, do you think, Chris? Uh, like, I feel like it's... More interesting the later you get. Okay, so start with... Yeah, so start with one. Yeah, okay. All right, so we'll start with one. I'll throw out a guy, and then I want good discussion from you gentlemen as far as what you think. Am I too high on the guy now? Granted, this is for fun. I want to caveat this. This is for fun. I'm not throwing away my my pre-draft evaluations on guys already. It's four weeks in. This is for fun. Don't ruin it by being a, a stinker butt for the, the listeners out there. All right. Stinker. Sorry, I have four kids. Stinker I was going to say, it's definitely something he says <laughs> to his <Yeah>. kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, number one, I, I'm still going with my pre-draft number one, and that was Anthony Richardson. I think that's fine. I th- it's definitely Richardson or Stroud. And Agreed. I, I don't yeah. think we – I think we've unfortunately not seen Richardson play as much as Stroud yet because of injury stuff. But I, I haven't been disappointed what Richardson has done at all so far this year. So, I don't think – I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I, I think that this week is what, and I could be wrong, but I think this is this was the week that pushed it over the edge. I mean, some of the throws that he made this week in the spots that he made them were pretty incredible. You're about Richardson, was, you, Richardson. Yes, I agree. This was the against week for the me. Rams, and like you saw, you saw what everyone wanted to see from this guy and you saw like everything that he was hyped up to be. And I even saw someone make the point that um, like maybe Richardson's receivers in Florida, he just threw the ball too hard and they just didn't know how to catch it because I mean, he is absolutely lasering the ball into the smallest of windows. I, I, I agree too. I think that, you know, even if we look at, we look at this at the end of the year, I think it's going to be Richardson because you're seeing the tools all kind of come together slowly and you're seeing that's where that ceiling is. And it's, I don't, I don't even know if it exists right now. That, that was the, the turning point for me is like I, when I evaluated the two and their body of work so far for one, I already had Richardson higher coming into the, the season, obviously. So sticking to my priors a little bit, but secondly, it's the ceiling play that we're seeing from Richardson. That is so crazy. Like that throw he had to Pittman on the run that zoom past Pittman's head where that throw was audacious. That was ridiculous. The fact he even attempted that throw and, and put it exactly where he wanted it is crazy. Pittman got completely held, or he got face masked on that play, or else he would have caught that for a touchdown. But Pittman, I don't know if you saw his reaction to that throw. He put his hands on his head and walked to the bench and sat there silent for five minutes. <laughs> and when they asked him what was going on, he's, he just was like, my entire earth was just shattered because a human being just threw that pass like i've never seen anything like that like and that's true that's what that throw was it was one of the craziest throws i've ever seen it didn't get caught obviously so no one really talked about it but crazy um cj stroud for me is my number two my number two um he's done enough where 
you know, I bumped him a few. I mean, I think I had him like what five pre-draft. I did have Bryce Young higher than him, and Bryce Young obviously falling behind now. But Stroud, his mechanics are so buttery smooth. The repeatability, of what he does, is great. My only issue with him and why I didn't put him over Richardson is he's he reminds me of like a sexier version of Jared Goff. Like they're almost identical in play style. Um, Stroud just has a little bit more juice in the tank to to escape the pocket and do certain things like that. But curious on, I mean, Chris, you had you said you would have had him one probably, right? Um, um, no, I'd probably still have Richardson one, but I, I think it's got to be either one. Um, gotcha. And I, I really like the Stroud pairing in Houston. Maybe it's because he's actually there, but it does seem like him and Bobby Slowick and D'Amico Ryan's like they're all on the same page. They're all on the like, hey, we know you're a rookie, but we are totally fine with you going out there and just throwing the ball. We're not trying to win a ton of games this year. Obviously, it's great if we do. They're going to. Yeah. So him paired with them with Tank Dell and Nico Collins and even Robert Woods it just seems like a, a good spot in general for a QB to land that was probably pretty not in people's eyes at, at coming into the year. Like, I don't if I was ranking the QB landing spots, I bet you – Indianapolis, I bet you Carolina was even ahead of Houston. Um, those are the three main ones. But, yeah, so, like, I, I just really – yeah, Strouds look great. I think him and Houston is is the right match. And, yeah, that's what it should be. I agree with that. The The play calling has been excellent. The play design has been yeah. excellent. That's, that's really helped Stroud as well. But, yeah, he's doing things we didn't really see him doing as college tape, which is a, a sign that he's developing and good, he's getting good coaching. So. But you're seeing the bones of what, like, you saw in college. I mean, the touch is there. The touch that, like, would show up on tape is, like, is there more consistently. And he's able to fit that ball and kind of, you know, layer it in into the right spots. And he reads the defense as well. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He just, I mean, he looks he looks good. He's clearly, he's ex- I think he's exceeded people's expectations. And, you know, good on him for, you know, beating that, you know, scout the helmet community that has been pushing the narrative that and you know somewhat rightfully so that ohio state quarterbacks can't turn into anything um but it just goes to show that some that you know don't scout the helmet and it is about the player and that you know he does he had great he has great touch i love watching him throw the ball and i love watching him kind of his his ability to like soft lob balls right into it like in onto the sideline is impressive yeah stroud um the like looking at his evaluation I had, one thing he does different than Fields, um, and those two will always get compared because similar time frame, both came out from the same offense, same school, same coaching staff, same receivers actually. They overlapped quite a bit. Um, Stroud's, the repeatability of the mechanics are so impressive. His base, his throwing motion, everything, he does every single play the exact same. Fields didn't really have that. So even when you're talking about anticipation and throwing in rhythm and playing the intent of the play when you have all your eyes dotted and your t's crossed on the back end of what you do and you can trust those arm mechanics and trust like field was a very accurate thrower in college but he didn't have the same mechanical development that stroud did i think that takes a level of thinking out of it for stroud it's like he's not he's not worried about clicking his heels because he doesn't do that that's not in his dna he doesn't worry about you know how loopy is throwing motion because he's got a really tight compact throwing motion he's not worried about um getting his feet lined up just things that like his the top of his drop like he has a really good fast sped up drop like all those little mechanical details stroud they're not even in his head he's not thinking about it i think that might be what's slowing stroud or uh, fields down a little bit so going forward with my qb evaluation i think i'm going to value just i already value it pretty high but i think i'm going to value those things a little bit better the last guy I can think of that was similar was Joe Burrow, where it's like he wasn't special as far as like his arm talent goes or his athleticism. Stroud is not either, but the repeatability of mechanics, it's like the, it takes the thinking out of it for him. So now he can just run the offense. He can worry about getting through those progressions. He can worry about, you know, throwing with anticipation because he, he knows he can trust himself. So I, I think that's actually a really, really valuable tool and why Stroud is developing a little bit more than Fields. Obviously, the coaching staff is much better in Houston than what Fields is getting in Chicago as well, and yada, yada. That's that's great. But um, All right, let's move on. Number three, first non-QB off the board here. We're going Jalen Carter, Philadelphia Eagles. I went back and forth between him and Brian Branch. I think play for play, Branch has been a little bit better. I think he's impacted games more, but I had Carter as my number one player in the draft, a non-quarterback in the draft. He hasn't done anything to upset me, and he's been pretty dominant himself. 
plays a, a more valuable position as well. So I'm sticking with Jalen Carter here. Guys, what do you think? I was worried you weren't going to put Jalen Carter here because the Houston, I, like, I don't think they would have ever not – like it, it was always Will Anderson or Jalen Carter here, and the only reason it wasn't Carter was the off-the-field stuff on draft, right. draft time. And, yeah. I, yeah, Carter has been – he's on pace to, like, smash – rookie defensive tackle sack records like the the most a guy has had was dexter lawrence he had two and a half in 16 games and carter is at one and a half through four i'm betting he gets at Wait, least what one is, what is donald donald had like eight as a rookie uh oh that's right donald did have more but yeah donald so yeah that was what it was donald is like the exception and obviously completely you know, different archetype anyways right so yeah, yeah. And, been, and been the best defensive yeah. player for the past five to seven years for, for, or something. forever he's the best of all time yeah sure. so that is the point is that other minus Aaron Donald and maybe he'll catch Donald he's on pace to like all these other defensive tackles that we think are good in the NFL right now are not did nothing compared to what Carter is doing in his rookie season Steve yeah and I mean just he's showing exactly what you wanted what you wanted to see from him he's showing that he still is the guy from college i mean i know i again it was the helmet thing but like you were starting to see that the, the narrative play out where it's like these georgia defenders are just not like they were more of a you know a summation of each other than they were an individual you know uh performance but yeah he's legit he's completely disruptive he looks athletic as hell he you know he can move linemen he understands the game um, and, you know, props to him because you haven't heard a single thing about any off-field anything since he's stepped foot on the field. And I think that's a huge credit to him. And I think it's a huge credit to the Eagles organization because they clearly knew knew what they were doing and they had a plan with him. And I think that, like, all the credit in the world goes to them for, you know, putting forward that plan because, you know, he deserved he deserved and, you know, we expected this from him. And to be able to see him do this and be the disruptive force that he is in the middle, you know, that's going to keep this Eagles defensive line going for another 5, 10, 12 years. Yeah. One of the things you talk about the helmet scouting of Georgia defenders. One of the thing I th- things I think has held back their defensive linemen specifically is they have a they kind of play a weird scheme. They do a lot of weird stunting type stuff where you're not really being asked to win a lot of true one-on-ones. So I think there were questions of like, okay, We've seen Carter perform really well in that scenario where he's getting a lot of layups. Now, how how's he going to do when everything's a one-on-one in that Philly scheme and he's basically winning <laughs> at a very high rate? My yeah. guys at PFF, I think he's the highest-graded defensive tackle in the league already, which is which is nuts. So um, good on him. And he's, and he's right up there leading the NFL or like near leading. I don't I don't know the exact numbers, but he's right there with Aaron Donald for pressures. Yeah, and. and that's a pretty good it's pretty good company to be around especially because he's not even playing full uh right game snap there he's yeah he's, he's ever like 30 a game chris yeah probably something like that yeah um all right we'll move on to the fourth pick in the redrafted first round well we're just doing the top 10 today but we're gonna go detroit lions defensive back brian branch from alabama uh this him falling to 45 overall at the actual draft didn't make any sense to me it still doesn't make any sense to me now um i didn't think he would play at like top five player level he's already the best defensive player in the lions um it's pretty pretty nuts what he's doing out here but uh, i'll give the floor to to you steve as someone who watches a lot of football yeah his instincts are incredible and i think that's that was his calling card and why everybody liked him so much. Like you said, I I mean, he was projected in the first round all the way up until like the day of the draft. I don't understand what happened, but he just has a knack of finding the ball. He understands spacing. He can shoot gaps. He just, he just gets it and he knows how to knows where to be. He plays so well within that system. And clearly like there isn't a lot of mental like errors He's, he is where he needs to be, and that's that's like half the part of being a defensive back is just being able to be in the right spot, understanding your spacing, understanding the guys around you. And that's just why that's why he's been playing so well, is that you can tell that there's not a lot of the pro- – like it's similar to Stroud almost. It, like obviously cross-comparison compar- cross for uh, sides of the ball, but like you can tell that there isn't a lot of like thinking going on. It's just 
get to my spot and then operate from there. And he's just, he, he's just so well. And he's, he's good. He's good in tackling. He's good in coverage. He just, he has everything you're looking for. And you know, this is the fact that they were able to move him to a nickelback when they wanted to play him a safety. I think that's even more impressive that like he stepped up immediately right into the nickel because that and, and like the modern NFL is such a difficult position to hold down. And I just, I've been massively impressed in it even more so his ability in the run game, the way he's so disruptive shooting gaps, playing that over as a, as an overhang defender. Like it's, I mean, he's made a couple plays where he immediately reads his keys and he's gone. He, he trusts everything that he sees and he goes and he makes plays. Yep. He hasn't been wrong yet. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. The, the, the story in training camp. So that he started training camp as the number two slot corner. They start. They brought in Chauncey Gardner Johnson to play in the slot, obviously. And then by the time the season came around, Branch was so dominant in camp. He had they had actually moved Chauncey to safety because that's how good Branch played. And Chauncey's a established vet who's a very good player, led the NFL interceptions last year. So they actually moved one of their better players just because Branch was performing at that high of a level, which is insane. So there was also reps in camp where he was playing on the outside. Like where there was, you know, I think Sutton got a couple of days off and Mosley was coming back from injury and they actually played Branch on the outside just to show you his versatility. Like he he can play wherever they want him to. It's almost I, like uh, that four or five speed didn't really uh, matter because just watch right. how fast the guy is on the field rather than how he is in shorts. Oh, yeah, we've always known 40 doesn't really matter. So you think the you you think the Colts just ride with Gardner Mincher then this year, basically? What do you mean? Well, you put you put. Oh, you put, oh. Uh... yeah. I I'm, I wasn't even thinking about that in terms of the podcast. In my article, I will have some some team specific thoughts here, but yeah, I, uh, I'm guessing. You know, they probably would have a different plan here. Maybe, maybe, maybe they go in this scenario. They'd have to go, you know, Bryce Young or something. But I don't think Bryce has played top ten worthy right now. That's fair. Um, number five, uh, the other guy. So everyone was convinced the Patriots were going to take Brian Branch because he has New England Patriot written all over him. Well, they weren't given the uh, opportunity. Or they were given the opportunity it's like three times. But the guy they did take was Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback from Oregon. I have him as my fifth best guy. He's been a lockdown corner to start the season so far. He looks incredible. I think in my pre-draft profile, I wrote, that I like Devin Witherspoon more than Christian Gonzalez, unless the Patriots drafted Christian Gonzalez. <laughs> so that's uh, that happened a lot in this draft, actually, where like skill sets match with teams specifically. So it is. Uh, I would I would have definitely said, oh yeah, for sure, Gonzalez over Witherspoon. But that did that uh, Monday night game change change make you second guess it at all? Where Witherspoon pretty much had I what I'd call a breakout game for him. Well, well, we'll still get the Witherspoon here in a minute. But, yeah, um, I mean, that was a fantastic game from Witherspoon. And he's played really good, too. So, yeah, I mean, he's still a top 10 guy for me. Um, some of what he did on Monday night was just, you know, perfect storm of just crap, crap offense, bad bad play calling, bad offensive line, bad quarterback, second-guessing himself. So, um, but, yeah. But, yeah, Gonzalez has been great. I mean, the Belichick – cornerbacks there's been a lot of them there's been a lot of good ones they rarely are guys that just come right out you know from being drafted and getting dropped into being the best guy there's been a lot of guys that he's used that have been rookies or very young players in that system but they've never been there's always been a stefan gilmore or jc jackson playing opposite them and right he does he loves to do that he'll put his best corner on the second best guy and then let two basically double cover the the best guy Gonzalez is just already the best guy and he's you know he's using him like he is the best guy yeah and it's really helping that defense because they have John Jones a good corner as well but now they have two guys capable of checking a number one they play Jalen Waddle and Tyree Hill twice a year they play Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis twice a year so it's a really good addition for them um, but in this scenario the Seahawks end up with with Gonzalez rather than Witherspoon so <laughs> Steve any thoughts on Gonzalez I mean, you guys kind of said it. he's he's been good. He's um, he's just he's sticks to his defender. He makes plays on the ball. 
Um, yeah, like you said, I think he's the perfect archetype for what Belichick wants. It would have been interesting to see like him in Seattle compared to um, New England, just because I think that his play style goes more to towards New England than it would in Seattle necessarily. But it just like yeah, he's been he's been really impressive. I mean, to for a rookie corner to step in and like you said, play in the division he's been in. <clears throat> I mean, look what they did to. Um, Miami, they didn't completely stop him. They didn't win the game, but you know they slowed him down. And he was a he was a product. He was you know a big part of that with being able to you know hang with uh, Waddle and Tyreek. Although I don't think Waddle played that game. Uh, I think you're correct. Yeah. All right, number six. Moving along here, we're, I'm going Will Anderson, the Houston Texans edge kind of falling down the board a little bit but i wouldn't say he's been disappointing guys like he's been like if you if you compare his season to like trayvon walker he's already better than trayvon walker who was the number one overall pick last year at this point in the season i think he's better than aiden hutchinson was at you know four games through last year i know hutch had the big three sack game against washington but a lot of that was coverage related sacks and um Wentz just holding the ball forever so um yeah, so I mean, I think snap for snap, though, Will Anderson looks the part. He looks better than Aiden. It's kind of crazy that the five rookies ahead of him have, have performed well enough to drop him down the board when Anderson was this highly touted guy. So um, it, kind of impressive. But any uh, thoughts on Anderson, Chris? Yeah, I think Stroud being on a rookie and on the team and a quarterback is basically the only reason we don't talk about Will Anderson really in the national media. But yeah, he's He's, he doesn't seem to be doing much wrong for the team. He's just not making these, you know, he's just not as eye-catching as the rookie QB looking awesome as well. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think Anderson would ever go later than this. Um, I think he's probably been better than the nearest defensive edge that went near him, Tyree Wilson, for the Raiders. So, Oh, God, he's been. He's yeah, been. so it's did Anderson is definitely the guy here. I don't I, – I, I think we might be at a yeah. I think it's just like a tear break. I, like I don't, I don't think there's another, unless you you've got somebody that comes after him that you think has also been. But I, this kind of feels like the tear break for me in the rookie class right now. As far as the top touted guys, yes, the next guy on the list came out of absolute nowhere. For right. Me. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Uh, Steve, anything on Will? Yeah. Just. I mean. Like you kind of alluded to, Chris, he just hasn't had the big splash plays, you know, the ones that you you would want to see to make a national media story to really like hype him up. You'd want to see like the big spin moves and the rips and the sacks. But like he's very stout in the run game, which was what he was kind of touted to be coming out, coming out. And that does obviously doesn't get a ton of you know, that's not a glorified spot to excel in, but like, he's very good at setting the edge. He's, he's very functional uh, in pass rushing right now. And I think that it'll all start to kind of, you know, come together and, you know, you'll start to see a little bit more of those splash plays as the season goes on, but you can, you can see that he's, he's just doing well. He's operating well. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes and like, he does. He plays incredibly well in the run game, and I think that's so much fun to watch. The way he's able to set the edge, set the edge, and hold his own against some of those um, tackles in the NFL. Yeah, he's uh, he's another one where he, you know Alabama kind of runs a goofy scheme, and and Anderson was like a lot of his production came when he was lined up at like a four technique position or a four I even, and he's not very big. He's like two hundred and fifty pounds, so that's a really weird yeah. spot to play a guy that size it just kind of shows you like people were concerned that power wouldn't translate you know playing four i at 250 pounds in college and then getting that same force and strength and and play strength to, to come out at the nfl level people were concerned about that for sure and it's i mean it looks he looks the part like he's been very good against the run he's holding up he's not getting blown off the line of scrimmage at all so i think the really impressive thing for him is there's not been a lot of MAs, not a lot of missed assignments there. So, yeah, um, like I said, the splash, splash plays will come. He had one this week actually where he almost killed Kenny Pickett. So, um, <laughs> splash plays will come, but uh, for now he just looks super steady, looks looks the part, looks really good, and he's contributing to that defense. So, all right, number seven, this guy I, I teased him a little bit as the first off the wall, like what the heck, and that is 
BYU wide receiver Puka Nakua, who was a fifth round pick, jumping all the way to number seven in the redraft. This is why I caveated this is for fun, guys. I don't think we would actually do this, but um, yeah. Who had the seventh pick this year? That was uh, the Raiders. The Raiders. Oh, well, they could could use Puka Nakua. They could use a a man of his skill set. Man, a receiving core with Adams. Jacoby Myers and Puka Nakua. Jimmy Garoppolo might be a top five quarterback if that would Dude. happen. And all three guys are, are chess pieces. They're all movable. Yep. They don't have yeah. to play in one spot. And that's kind of how the Rams have been using Puka. They're moving them all over the place, putting them in motion. They're kind of using him in the, the Robert Woods role. Not kind of. They actually are. It's almost exactly <laughs> how they're using him. So, um, yeah, I mean, Chris, Steve, what are you guys seeing from Puka? Let's start with Steve. Um. This isn't obviously this isn't the sexy thing to talk about, but his run blocking has been incredible. The way oh, he yeah. inserts himself in the line and is, a, is able to like the way they kind of uh, fold him into the offensive line and have lead through the hole has been super impressive. And that was awesome to watch this week. They did it a ton with him. But as a receiver and the way he just operates with Matthew Stafford, I think he's the perfect receiver for Matthew Stafford. He's a guy that has, you know, undeniable hands. And Stafford can trust him to be where he's where he needs to be and catch any any ball from any angle that he's going to throw. And he just he's been he's been so good. I mean, he's obviously setting records and I just think he operates so well in that uh, that Rams offense. He's the perfect archetype. And, you know, I think that he's even taking that Robert Woods role to another level. Yeah, the you talked about the insert play they do on the run game. Did you see they they hit that for a long pass this week, Steve? Yeah. So they they put him in motion. They kind of fold him in. He inserts in the B gap and then runs like a post from that. I mean, everyone's using that that super short motion now too, which is kind of cool. But uh, that was a really creative way to get him involved and get him the ball. I think that was his first explosive play of the day too. So I think he had caught a couple short passes. Then he hit that one for like thirty three yards, which is which is a really nice play design. How much do you weigh the McVeigh scheme and what he's doing with him versus Puka's just natural ability? Because, like we said, if you dropped him on the Raiders, like what, what, like what would McDaniel's be able to get out of him? Yeah, so I mean, Puka's been basically the Rams' answer for for zone coverages. Um, he's been good against man too. I actually I saw some chatter on Twitter that he can't beat man coverage, so I actually went through and watched every puka snap because i'm a nerd and that's what i do in my free time um there's plenty of reps where he's absolutely destroying press man i mean he had a couple nine routes where he's wide open there it's more the alert of the concept so stafford didn't throw him the ball but he could have thrown thrown him the ball so i'm not not super worried about that i I think scheme is obviously helping like anytime you land in a shanahan system like you know any any one of these guys whether it's lafleur shanahan bobby slowick now or um there's one more i'm forgetting um Anyways, or McDaniel. McDaniel, um, who McDaniel McDaniel. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or one of these McVeigh guys, like you're, you're going to get stuff schemed up for you and it's going to look easy at times, but Puka is winning a lot. His feel for zone is just so incredible. Like the way he's able to set yeah. those rounds down, like him working. That's actually funny I, on his college tape. He never worked the middle of the field. Jaron Hall couldn't throw the middle of the field to save his life. So Puka lived on the boundary. Now, he's caught a lot of passes out there. I'm not saying he hasn't, but he's most of the like big play damage he's doing is across the middle of the field. Post routes, digs, um, they're running him on some dagger stuff, Yankee concepts, the insert play we're talking about. Like he's crushing the middle of the field. So um that's definitely gonna be a little bit scheme related, but we're also seeing Puka take his game to another level. Oh, about the the uh run blocking too, Steve. I'm just looking at my my profile on fantasypoints.com for Puka. I wrote, he has competitive toughness that makes you blush. All of his plus traits lead to this overarching theme. Nakua plays every snap like it's his last, and he blocks his ass off. And then editor Joe Dolan changed ass to butt, so that works. (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah, Puka, great. Very cool story, and he is obviously breaking things for fantasy football right now because you probably didn't draft him, or if you did, it was like a last pick scenario, and he is a wide receiver what top five guy right now chris yeah he's gotta be yeah, yeah. all right number I mean, probably, uh, oh sorry go ahead steve i was gonna say i picked him i picked him up in every league just because of you brett so props oh, to you for that because i'm because i'm undefeated in almost in three of my leagues 
Yeah, that's why he's scary because like most of the people that have him are undefeated unless he's sitting on your taxi squad and some dynasty team you don't check. <laughs> Who would do that though? I don't know. That's that's weird. But uh, all right, number eight, Iowa tight end Sam Laporta going to the, the Detroit Lions. They are the second team on this list with multiple players. Um, Laporta has he is like probably the new dynasty tight end one in fantasy chris like i think the the asking price for him is astronomical i've tried to acquire him in leagues i don't have him which is i think two of 25 but uh you can't get him you literally can't trade for sam laporta in dynasty it's impossible um he leads all tight ends all tight ends in receiving yards not just rookies um already kind of a highly touted guy climbs up the board pretty significantly here by about 30 picks what are you seeing from sammy laporta yeah, I mean, he he looks like he's not a rookie tight end. I mean, they dropped him in to be a – there's so, there so much talk of, like, how much is he going to play and Brock Wright is going to play, and with, which, you know, those other guys are still playing. But Laporta is the guy. He is the starting tight end for the Lions, and he – you know, yeah, he just doesn't look like he's – it's his first time playing in the NFL. He's he's They're using him down the field. He's not just, like, racking up catches near the, goal, near the line of scrimmage and stuff like that. Um, he's, but yeah, he's, yeah, he's definitely the best tight end of this class right now. And it's, and that's crazy saying what the, what the class had with Michael Mayer and Darnell Washington and, um, uh, Dalton Kincaid, Luke Musgrave, Luke Musgrave. That's why I was like, I'm forgetting one of them, but yeah, he, any of these teams that took a tight end in this draft, I, I can't imagine that they're not saying maybe we should have just taken, you know, done the smart thing and you draft Iowa tight ends and you just, and don't overthink it. Just draft um, Iowa tight ends and hope they're not Noah Fant. Yeah. Well, and, and he's not even that terrible. So, no, like, yeah. Like, it be okay. topic, no, no, definitely not. Um, I do. I don't know if I'd put him at going eight in this draft, just given the, the tight, what the tight end position brings to you, but it's not a, really a knock on him as much of just, sure. you know, what, what, you know, other, but at the same time, there hasn't really been other guys at Premier. None of the tackle the tackles have really been awesome yet. But yeah, that's not that's not yeah that's not really something to expect from them. Um, there's not a lot of other good edge players right now. There's yeah you, all the good we took the good corners off the board. So I, yeah, I, I mean I get it though. But it is I don't know just given the nature of the position if if I would rank him that high. Steve. Yeah, I um, he's she he's exactly again. He's another guy that it's just watch the tape and play him the way that he played in college. Don't try and make him different than what he is. Just put him in a position to succeed and have him play similarly to how he played in college. And that's what they're doing. He's great over the middle. He's he has great hands. He's really good after the catch and he hasn't been the best run blocking it's been okay you've seen him miss assignments at time i mean i think if anybody's anybody who has watched line games when the run game has broken down it's generally kind of been from the tight end position missing a block on a, like a inside zone, inside zone split type uh block and things like that but you know a lot of people don't care about that and the lines are winning <laughs> games and so it does like you know he's not going to get knocked for that a ton but his ability after the catch and his his hands are impressive. I mean, he had a catch this week where um, he did kind of like an over route across the middle or no. Yeah, it was this week an over route across the middle and he was manned up pretty well. The coverage was tight, but golf kind of put it a little bit behind him. Uh, the defender was, it was right there to kind of make a play on the ball, but he was able to snatch it out of the air. He broke the tackle and he was able to keep going. And that was what you saw on tape. You saw him able to make plays over the middle, beat defenders, win in space. And, you know, it's directly translating to the NFL. He understands spacing and he can win man on man uh, situations. So it's, it, you know, he's been great and he's, he's like his ability after the catch, I think didn't get talked about and it did get talked about, but like it's translating even more. And I think yeah. that that is what the line and the lines are putting him in a position to succeed. They're not just lining it, lining him up in line every time they are, you know, putting him in the slot a little bit and, doing different things, putting him in positions to succeed. And, you know, it's that I, it's impressive. Yeah. That, I was going to note the, the usage there. Like he, the lines are, they have a plan for him every week. It's different too. Like yeah. they are, it's very game plan, game plan specific. Some weeks he's going to play in the slot a lot. We've seen him out wide. Even he's beating cornerbacks on some of these routes, which is impressive. 
Um, I looked. I went back and looked at just my raw film scores for players. Laporta was a top twenty-five player for me on just raw film score. What knocked him in my scale was his uh, productivity. Um, wasn't very productive. Had, it was like a one-year production situation. I should have adjusted for how bad <laughs> Iowa's quarterbacks were when he was there, but I didn't. At least not enough. It lo- looks like um, all said and done. I think Laporta is is fan- fantastic. I also love that like he's their answer if a team is committing to taking Amon Ra out. So if they're yes. going to bracket Amon Ra, we've seen a lot of bracket on Amon Ra this year. Um, if they're going to bracket him or even commit extra bodies his direction, go, it's like golf and Laporta know, okay, cool, we got this look, therefore you're now the dude, um, and and we're going to you. So I, I like it. He's he's living up to it. The long touchdown he had against, um, was it the Falcons? Yes. Yes. Um, he, uh, I mean, he broke that safety off at the knees on that that uh, post route. That was beautiful. So good on him. I mean, it almost, he beat him so bad, it looked like a busted coverage. Like, it, he was yeah. that wide open. Um, but he, he just snapped them off. So, anyways, moving on, we have another kind of out-of-nowhere guy. Not really out-of-nowhere, um, but he was drafted in the third round probably because he's, like, the size of a toddler, and that would be uh, Tank Dell, Houston wide receiver, staying in Houston, playing for the Texans. The Texans have three players getting redrafted on the top ten here. Tank Dell making the list. Um, he's been good, has not been great, but this is more a faction of this rookie class is pretty disappointing thus far, especially some of these skill players that were drafted ahead of him. But Tank looks great. <clears throat> I should say he looks good anyways. Um, Chris, what are you seeing from Tank? Yeah, I, I would be interested to hear what we said about the Texans draft after the facts because back when it happened, because I bet you we weren't super high on it. I bet we were all like, it's fine. We probably didn't love this pick in particular with the Tank Dell size, but I swear watching him that he does not look like the size that he was in college. Agree with that. When you watch his college film, he looks like you're like, all right, yeah, he's a tiny guy. And, you know, they like to get him the ball quick and let him do things in space where in college, everybody's a little bit slower, not as big. And you can, you know, you just being fast and twitchy can, can be enough in college. In the NFL, that's supposed to all disappear, but it hasn't for him. He looks... He looked he like Nico Collins is a big wide receiver and he doesn't even look like that much smaller than Nico Collins when they're out there together. Um, he's playing on the outside. He's not just playing in the slot. I, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he actually did grow in size in the past few months or not, but whatever happened, it, it is, it's working for him in the NFL. Definitely looks more muscular. I don't think, I don't think he's taller or anything, but he looks more muscular for sure. Yeah. Steve. Yeah, he's like you said, Chris, his ability to because I think, you know, naturally with the, with his size, everybody was really quick to say he's going to be a slot only type guy. And just because that's the nature of receivers coming into the NFL, if you're under a certain height, you immediately get pegged as you you have to go in the slot by, you know, a lot of draft mix and everything. But he's added a component to the uh, to the Houston passing game that I think they needed. They needed another guy that could win out that could win out outside. And, you know, I think that Robert Woods operates better in this better in the slot anyway. And so being able to get him to move in there and have a functional receiver on, on the outside changes that offense. And, you know, he's helping free up Nico Collins. I mean, we've seen and talked about Nico Collins and how well he's playing this year. I think take, Tank Dell is, um, you know, helping contribute to that. And there's something to be said. Hey, uh, CJ Stroud told the Houston Texans to go out and get Tank Dell. And clearly, Stroud kind of knew what he was talking about, and you know had a feel had had an idea for what he could, what he saw in him. So, you know, good on Stroud for you know making that call and you know helping to maybe push him over the edge to pick him. But yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna keep he's gonna keep coming along, and I think that his versatility, being able to play inside and outside, is you know what's gonna keep him on the field and keep him productive. I dig it. All right, last of the the top 10 of the 2023 redraft draft. We're going to go Seattle Seahawks corner. Devin Witherspoon from Illinois um, was a consensus top 10 player on most people's boards. Anyways, um, had a slow start with the injury to start the season, but he's come on strong the last couple weeks. He is coming off a game in which he had a 97-yard pick six and two sacks 
which for a corner is uh, quite the quite the accomplishment to get two sacks in one game. Obviously, that Giants offense is broken, as we already discussed, but Witherspoon looks every bit as legit as he did pre-draft. My favorite thing about him before I turn it over is his stopping power. Um, he's 180 pounds, and when he hits you, you you stop. It doesn't matter how big the guy is. It doesn't matter if he's a 230-pound running back or a tight end. When he hits you, your momentum stops. It's actually crazy. Um, he's saved several first downs for the Seahawks with just his pure tackling power, which is crazy considering his size. Steve, I'll pass to you first. Yeah, he his first game was against Detroit, and you could tell that he was kind of figuring it out, and there were some mistakes. There were some hiccups here and there, but now – you can see he's starting to trust his instincts. You really saw it this game where Seattle understands what he is as a player, and that's a guy that you point him in a direction, you wind him up, and then you just shoot him off, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's good in coverage, but I, like you said, his ability in the run game, his ability to come off the edge as a blitzer and his, um, his ball skills, I think that you know the pick was – partly because the Giants offense was that was horrific from everybody involved in the Giants offense from the receivers to the quarterback it was just all bad but um yeah he just it's it's fun watching because he lays the lumber like that dude just kills people and he puts his back into it and you don't see that a lot from corners like that's a type of hitting power and a type of like throw your back into it that you see more from, you know, what you would think you would see from safety more often, but you can tell that, you know, he puts his back into every single hit and, you know, he just, he, with the pick, the pick six, and I think you'll see it more often this year. He has a knack to just be around the ball and he under, he understands what he's seeing. He understands route concepts. That's why he was able to make that pick. And uh, it just, yeah, he's, he's so much fun to watch because, and I think I think he's going to rack. I bet you he gets five sacks this year. I think that it's going to keep coming because that you can tell that they love having him blitz off the edge and his speed combined with his hitting power. I think he's going to wreak some havoc uh, for teams going forward. Yeah, he's a uh, he like so much of what he uh, he was like at Illinois is now what, the way he's playing in the NFL. The way the Similar to, um, I remember seeing him and Sidney Brown, the safety from Illinois that was also drafted. Like, yeah, just hard-hitting guys that you, in the defensive backfield that you just don't see in a lot of, particularly in the NFL when you get to this stage. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how his, like, coverage skills continue to develop. Um, I know a lot of people weren't really worried about that with him coming in. I don't think we've seen that that game from him yet where, like, he's just being tested by – some quarterback over and over and he's just denying, you know, very little separation on the receivers and all that stuff. Um, He's made the impact plays and now he's just got to continue to, you know, get the, do the regular stuff that he's got to do on every down and just keep guys in tight coverage and be where he's supposed to be. Uh, And the, and the Seahawks defense is like pretty straightforward. Like he's going to play on one side and that's where he's going to be. And the, like, so that part shouldn't be hard for him. Agreed. All right. That was fun. Uh, notable guys I left off. Bijan Robinson, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Osiris Torrance. I don't think anyone else is uh, – Keanu Benton. I don't think anyone else beyond those guys that has really played well enough to be considered top 10. You didn't even say Bryce Young. <laughs> uh, he's been that bad. I'm, I know. I'm legitimately – say it's notable, though. It, it, well, yeah, that's true. That is. That actually is notable. The first overall pick did not make the top 10 redraft um, because he's been that bad. So, anyways, we uh, probably need to move on here. We are 58 minutes in. I still want to give you some uh, game of the week breakdown, which we have crowned. What game did we pick, guys? (laughs) Cowboys 49ers. Yeah, Sunday night football, Cowboys 49ers. That is the game of the week. Um, this is basically the tale of the same team, kind of, except one has a great play caller and one does not. But kind of iffy quarterback situation with a fantastic defense and a team that can run the ball. Well, we might be some of the only people that think it's either team has an iffy quarterback situation. Okay, that is true, I guess. Yeah. There's not a lot of people with their heads screwed on their shoulders these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the 49ers roll through the Cowboys. I don't – it, 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 Roll through them. 
Oh, the the Cowboys. I don't know if they've scored in the red zone yet this year. I, I'm I'd have to double check, but it, they definitely haven't done it much. If not, they're the games that they have where they look like in a you know a top tier team is when their defense scores touchdowns, which is not a bad thing. Like yeah, if 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 my defense can score touchdowns and that that is awesome, but that is not something that they can count on week to week. And as they get up against these tougher teams, I will say Brock Purdy has definitely you know putting the ball in harm's way at times and missed guys so if there was a defense that could really take advantage of that it's probably the cowboys um i think that but i think that's how they're gonna need i don't i don't see the cowboys offense having much success on the 49ers defense steve yeah and i i think that's what it comes down to is the cowboys offense against the 49ers defense um yeah i You'd like to, I would like to have seen Trayvon Diggs in this game because I think Trayvon Diggs would have picked off Purdy once or twice in this game because, yeah, Purdy's been getting a ton of burn in the fantasy community and just the football community in general with how the 49ers offense has been operating. But he's, you know, he plays in the Shanahan system. He's nothing special, but he does what he needs to. And, you know, he's gotten lucky with some interception luck. It hasn't turned into, into inter, interceptions and, that's, you know, a credit to his luck. But I don't know. The, this Cowboys offense, you saw it against the Cardinals, and I think you'll see it again against this, where when you get a defense that can legitimately scheme up against them combined with an offense that can actually move the ball, I think the, Cow- the, the Cowboys are going to kind of struggle against that. And, you know, when like you said, Chris, when their defense can't score – one to three touchdowns per game in their offense. It has to actually be reliant. They have to rely on their offense to be the production point. I think that's where you're going to see the issues arise. Yes. Um, we have breaking news, but I, I don't want to get into it until we make our prediction here. Um, what are you going, Chris? You going 49ers? Yeah, you said they're going yeah, to roll yeah. right through them. Yeah, Chris is picking 49ers. Uh, give me a score, Chris. I, I need to. I need to hear a score from you. With uh, that. Let's go. Thirty-one seventeen. Thirty-one seventeen. Okay, Steve. Yeah, I think it's 49ers. I think it's gonna be a little closer. I think it's gonna be like a. I think it's really gonna be like a twenty-one seventeen game. 49ers win. I think both offenses are gonna kind of struggle. I think that you're gonna see the human side of Purdy a little bit more. And I think, I think you might see those turnovers actually turn into turnovers this week. And I think both offenses are going to kind of struggle to move the ball a little bit. Yeah. I was going to say 23, 20 49ers as well. So, so close, close to where you're at, Steve. Um, so we're all picking the 49ers. Chris doesn't think it will be close. I do. Um, I do think the 49ers are a much better team though. Uh, much better play caller. I just think Dallas's defense is good enough. They're, they're so good that they should definitely limit Purdy in this game. So as good as Shanahan is at calling the plays, I think I think this could be Purdy's first real awakening. But yeah. Um, anyways, breaking news: the New England Patriots have just traded for cornerback J.C. Jackson. Back to where it all <laughs> began. J.C. Jackson has been the definition of horrible signing by the Chargers. They gave him a truckload of money, money that New England was not willing to commit to him at the time, which is kind of funny. Um, now they're trading back for him. I'm obviously the Chargers are going to have to eat a lot of the dead cap themselves, so the the penny is not as high for New England at this time. He's familiar with the system. He was an absolute superstar in New England. New England's had like 19 injuries at cornerback. Um, I would imagine J.C. Jackson goes back to his left corner role there, where I believe. Um, uh, John Jonathan Jones is hurt right now, right? Yeah, John Jones is hurt. Yeah, and they got Gonzalez on the other side, and then in the slot, we'll probably see some Miles Bryant and Jalen Mills probably goes back to safety. So this fixes the, if Jackson's any any decent, like if he's decent for them, this fixes the injury issues. But um, kind of a big trade though. It sounds like a win win for both teams. I mean, the Chargers were done with him; they, they were done. ready to move on, and the Patriots get a guy that they've gotten good stuff out of and I, it depends how much they paid, but I can't imagine it's much. I like the chargers a swap of late round picks. Oh yeah. Then yeah. It's a win-win for both. I mean, probably a bigger win for the Patriots. Can, but if you remove the fact that the chargers, it's a sunk cost, they already made the contract with them. Then yeah, they weren't using that guy anyway. Might as well get something for him. 
Yeah, and get they'll they will get some salary relief. You know, they're not going to have to eat the whole right. thing, just the the guaranteed money right. there. So, um, that's kind of cool. I, yeah, that could that could be helpful. <laughs> I, I'm curious to see if JC because like corner is such a like a psychologically challenging position. He's been beaten so bad in LA. It's like, is he even the same player mentally he was? Like, can can Belichick get that back? We've seen Patriots players leave New England, struggle elsewhere, and then come back and be good again in New England. So it has happened for sure. But it's almost it's almost like coaching matters. It is <laughs> one their just unique scheme and the way they do things. Right. Yeah, so the way that the and whatever they play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I All mean right. the one player the one player that's actually been good outside is Gilmore. If you look at if you look at the track record of guys that have left New England, I think Gilmore's just about the only one on the defensive side that's produced for another yeah, team. For sure. I mean JC think- Jackson was was being sad. He wasn't even uh, he wasn't even dressed for a game this year. Yeah. Um Chandler Jones, I think you could say he's been Yeah. Oh sure. yeah, Chandler Jones, yep. He's been uh, pretty good, but um, yo, Kyle Van Noy had a couple good years in Miami, right? Not um, like New England, though. But yeah, yeah, he wasn't what he was in New England, but he was oh, okay. fun- he was functional, functional, yeah. Uh, well, right on. That's gonna do it, guys. Uh, we went super long. That's what happens when you have a guest, three people talking instead of two. All good. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Go to fantasypoints.com. Check out all the content. It is from like Monday to Friday, guys. It is like. A blitzkrieg we are just hammering you with article after article after article whatever your interest is whatever fantasy angle you like there is an article for you chris your article drops today yeah it should be out by now i just pick out like basically five from watching the games i make notes and stuff and then i look through the data after the fact and try to pick out five things five stats that i think are very relevant for where we're at in the fantasy season and things yeah how things might progress forward um so yeah check that out East. Yeah, check it out. It's a great article. Um, also, for the audio-only listeners, please go to YouTube. Even if you're not going to ever watch a single YouTube video, I still want you to go subscribe to the channel, click the notification bell, um, get set up that way. It, it helps us you know, in some way, shape, or form. So please do that. Uh, we'll see you next week, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.